Good morning. Welcome to Emmett Audio. This is uh, probably the second to last long episode for the May Virtual Apprenticeship Challenge, um, where I've laid out the entire spoon carving process in the last series of episodes. Today we're going to be talking about micro champers. If you hear me pausing, it's because I'm also chucking tennis balls for my dog who's going stir crazy after a couple days of not enough exercise. So where we left off yesterday, um, the back of the spoon bowl was done, but we still need to do micro chamfers on the rim of the spoon bowl um, to match the micro chamfer that we put in on the inside of the spoon bowl right where it meets the rim. So we need two more. We need one that connects the edge to the top rim and one that connects the edge to the bottom. Because the one that connects the edge to the top rim is trickier, I always do that one first. And the reason it's trickier is that it's easy to forget that from the neck of the spoon up to the tip of the spoon is going uphill in the grain. Or largely from the from the from the from the deepest part of the spoon, which is close to the neck at the shoulders, is going uphill in the grain. And what this means is that if you hold the knife as you're making these tiny little micro chamfers flat level to the top surface of the spoon and try and, or even close to flat and try and cut that little micro chamfer going around the rim, you're actually going to rip the grain right out because that's uphill. And it's the spoon is at its most delicate at this stage. And so the, the, the possibility that you would, um, completely ruin an almost finished spoon is very real. The way to avoid it is to, um, if you think of the top face of the spoon as the reference face, as being horizontal, the way to avoid it is to hold your knife at 45 degrees or more, closer to 90 degrees, to make that micro chamfer. Um, and the reason that works is because then you're carving from the high point downhill in the grain in that orientation. You're treating the spoon as though it were flipped on its side. And in that orientation, you can go from the widest part of the bowl around to the tip and the shoulders and be just fine. But uh, a lot of times people make the mistake of holding their knife too flat and it really messes things up. Um, once you do that, and again, what I described yesterday was that you want to take as little as possible. It's just a light, light scraping cut. You want to take the tiniest little bit. You, it, it's, you almost don't want it to be noticeable at all. But you do need to do it because otherwise burnishing won't make nearly as much of a difference. And one of the easiest ways to get really consistent about the, the thickness of your micro chamfer is to just let the knife itself be the weight that is applied, be the pressure that is applied. And that way you, where'd that ball go? There it is. Um, and that way you can be really precise and consistent about it in a way that's difficult to achieve if you, sorry, I'm running after a ball that's rolling downhill, in a way that's difficult to achieve if you're trying to apply any amount of pressure because any change in that pressure that you're applying will show up as a difference in thickness of the micro chamfer. So, um, so once you've done the top, then you do the bottom, 
Um, the bottom is much more straightforward because you can sort of have the knife at any angle. It doesn't matter. It won't tear out. Um, but again, you go from the size of the bowl around to the tip and the shoulder. And then the last thing I do before I consider myself done with the actual knife part of the spoon is I will reduce the keel on the back of the handle as much as I think is necessary. And remember, I've left this deliberately long so that should I need to leave it thick because the neck got super narrow because I kept going back and forth, that is my insurance policy against just completely ruining the spoon. But usually at this stage, there's a little too much keel left on that neck. And now is the time to remove it. Just with a simple pull cut with the tip of the handle pressed against your chest. Um, and I just define the new line I want the keel to have and then blend in the facets on either side of it to the facets below. And it's just important to make sure that the line flows nicely. That's it. How much to pull up your keel is totally a matter of preference and opinion. And um, for me, it sort of changes all the time. I will say that you need less than you think you do, particularly if you have the right amount of thickness in the neck. We're talking a millimeter here or there makes all the difference. So I think it's easy to leave too much. Um, so there you go. Your spoon is now finished being carved. But for me, at least, it's not done because I get a lot more refinement from the burnishing and polishing part of the process and, frankly, the treatment part of the process. So that's what we're going to be talking about um, for the rest of this episode. Burnishing is simply rubbing the spoon with something harder than the wood itself, and you can use anything. I got the idea of burnishing um, because I used to... We used to live in Maine, and there was this beach up in Maine called Rainbow Beach. It's way up north that we went to visit before we left Maine for good. And the beach is full of these beautiful, smooth pebbles. And I carried one in my pocket for a while, and I was whittling some little something. It was before I carved spoons. And I found that I could rub this piece of wood that I was whittling with the pebble, and it would get really smooth and shiny. So I knew of this effect. Um... And well, I think the dog is maybe wearing out now. <clears throat> and so really the secret to burnishing is you can use anything so long as it doesn't mark the wood. You can use a harder piece of wood that's polished. You can use a pebble. You can use a deer antler. If you're going to use a deer antler, you're going to want to sand it a little bit just to make sure that the, the surface isn't particularly rough. So I walk mine up to 3,000 grit through the different grits, um, largely just to uh, remove surface roughness, not to remove bumps, um, although the section I have sort of still has like a little bit of ribbing, and I guess I'd remove bumps, I just didn't try and make it a perfectly smooth surface, still has sort of a ripple to it, and, and I cut my deer antler down so that I had little section at the end that was fatter that was curved over that I could use to do the sort of center of the bowls, um, deeper things. I've also used porcelain pestles, like from a mortar and pestle. I have found that the unglazed section at the end works much better than any glazed section would. Um, I know people who use 
the backs of metal spoons or uh, the spine of a knife blade. I wouldn't really recommend that one. Um, but for some reason people say it. Um, obviously some of these shapes are, have limitations in terms of where they can actually, uh, reach on the spoon. Um, so for a while I used a combination of things. The pebble sort of can hit anywhere. Problem is the pebble's difficult to hold because you have to sort of pinch it. Um, and so I, so I use this porcelain burnisher that I, uh, commissioned a, a potter to make for me. Um, but when I'm done with carving the spoon, I rub the spoon all over with this burnisher. Now two things. One, it's important to support the spoon while you're doing so. Don't grip the spoon by the neck and leave the bowl unsupported. I always am either holding the bowl in my hand or resting it on my knee. Um, and I use a fair amount of force rubbing the spoon all over. I found that if I, um, I found that if I go for a long, long time, I tend to lose all the definition of the facets and I didn't like that. So I use a lot of force, but I do it only for about a minute, maybe less, 30 seconds to a minute to get all over the spoon. Um, and what I'm looking for is to sort of really round the sharp bits, but leave the facets defined. That's just what I'm looking for. Then the other thing I do is I use the side of this broom corn polisher that I somehow came across. I had a student who asked me if I knew about French polisseurs, which is these polishers that are used actually scrubbing with the end grain that French furniture makers would use to polish their furniture. And I tried the end grain of a bunch of broom straw, but it scratched the wood because until it sort of wears down and gets soft, the spoon wood is just too, too soft and markable for it to work well. But what I found was that the side of the thing actually did a remarkable job because it has a little bit of flex. So it will wrap around a, a, the spine between two facets and hit both sides of the facets while still leaving the facets distinct. So it's a good match for what we have. I, th I really think you could use like, you try just using like the side of a hand broom or something like that. Like it doesn't have to be complicated. Um, and all that this is is just some broom corn lashed together into a tight little bundle with a space between the two lashings that's wide enough that you can use it to get all over the spoon. Now I don't get the center of the spoon bowl with it, but everything else I get with that. And then I treat the spoon. Now I used to be on the linseed oil bandwagon like everybody else. Um, and I always hated how it tasted. Um, and I hated how, uh, it took a long time to cure and my customers hated it. And I finally just couldn't do it anymore. Um, so I use a beeswax jojoba oil mixture that I make myself. Um, that's a two to one ratio of oil to wax. Two parts jojoba oil, one part beeswax. I just heat it up in a can over the stove burner until the wax is melted. You want to make sure you leave plenty of room in the can for the whole thing to expand without bubbling over the top. And, and once the wax is melted, I turn it off and I give it a good stir with a chopstick. And then I let it cool in the can. And by letting it cool in the can, what that means, rather than pouring it into tins, is that I can sort of stick it with a chopstick a bunch of times once it's cooled. And that will break up the sort of waxy structure. And then it's easy to scoop it into the tins. And it makes it easy for me to scoop it out with my fingers. 
um, from the tins. Whereas if you pour it into the tins hot, it will set and then it will be much more difficult to pull out of the tins with your fingers. Um, uh, the reason I like this is that it it doesn't change the color the way that linseed oil will yellow the wood. Um, it is completely neutral tasting. It smells like beeswax, which is great. And the jojoba oil won't ever go rancid. And it's also hypoallergenic. Um, so um, that's what I use. Uh, I also, so if you're not going to do a heat treat with that, you don't need to use much. Just a little lick will do you. Um, because all you're basically trying to do is protect the wood from smudges and make the color pop. Um, the wood doesn't really need to be treated to be fine. I think there's this idea that you have to treat it, otherwise it won't, won't uh, last well. And that's just not true. You can leave a spoon completely untreated and it will be totally fine. You'll just, you might get some smudges on it. Um, now, obviously, as soon as you start using it, you're going to have patina built up. But if you're making spoons to sell, it's an important consideration. The other thing that I do, however, is a heat treat where, uh, hey, Willa, you want to go? Here we go. Um, where with this heat treat, what I do is I smear on a bunch of the jojoba oil beeswax mixture. And then I hold it over a stove flame burner. And... and um, uh, sorry, I'm distracted by the construction down here. And I turn it and turn it and turn it and I let the spoon heat up. Now I only turn it for like, I don't know, 30 seconds, even less. And I make sure, and this is the really critical part, that I have extra uh, finish on my fingers that I can rub into the areas that start to dry out. If you don't do this part, it will get rougher in those areas where it sucked in all the moisture and didn't have enough. You need to make sure that you have more than the spoon needs. Um, otherwise, you're not gonna get a smooth finish. But you'll feel, as soon, once it's rough, as soon as you smear on extra, as long as it's still hot, it will immediately get smooth again and it'll stay that way. So that's an important part. And what I found is that the heat treatment hardens the wood, which I think is really valuable in an eating spoon to have the tip of it be hard. Um, and really in a cooking spoon or anything. So um, for me, it's a really valuable part of the process. The crucial part though is having that extra bit on your hand to rub in as things heat up um, so that you don't end up with a rough spoon from uh, the pores being all open and wanting something and you not giving it to them. So, uh, and then the nice thing about my treatment is that unlike uh, any of the hardening oils where you gotta give them time to cure, you just wipe off the spoon once it's done with a, a rag and, uh, and then you're good to go. So, um, and you're ready to use it immediately. So that's how I finish my spoons. Um, that's the end of the spoon carving process for me. Um, and the one other thing I will say is I have, I had one incidence where we have these counters in our back kitchen. Uh, we have two kitchens in our house because we used to rent out the back of our house. And I'm not sure what the counters are made of. Some sort of like, maybe they're stone, but maybe not. And at one point I left some fresh spoons lying on it and they got these dark marks in the back. So something either in the, it doesn't look like the counter's finished with anything, but something in the counter 
stained the wood or reacted with the wood in some way. So um, if you have fresh spoons that you need to sell, I would say don't leave them lying around on a surface that you're not sure of the neutrality of that surface. Stick them in a bowl, stick them in a basket, um, stick them on a piece of cloth or something like that. And that's it. Thanks very much for taking part in the May Virtual Apprenticeship Challenge. I hope you guys got a lot out of it. Let me know if you did.